Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. All right. Good morning. This weekend, we are continuing our series, Sojourners, uh, through the book of 1 Peter. And we finally made it to chapter 2. It's only taken us about seven weeks uh, to get there. And so go ahead and turn in your Bibles or on your app on your phone to 1 Peter chapter 2. In chapter 1, Peter reminded us of our new identity. I was actually thinking about identity this week. And a lot of our, our issues, a lot of our problems, a lot of our our sin struggles boils down to identity, but Peter's remind us of our new identity. That he called us obedient sons and daughters of God through faith and repentance. And so he kind of assumed that as a result, we are now obedient. That we've been born again through this living and abiding word of God. And as a result of that, the fruit of this is a life marked by hope, by holiness, and love. Now, if you're like me, you hear what Peter's telling us, and it seems very different or somewhat different from our actual experience in the Christian life, does it not? It's almost like you hear someone describe the ideal, and you think, that's not my actual experience. And so the problem is that while it may be true, what he's telling us that we are new creatures in Christ, that as a result, we have been born again to something entirely different. We seem to keep doing the things from our old way of life, the way our life was before Christ. We we tend to return to those things. Why is that the case? The reality is the Christian life is like a battle. And that's probably more accurate to how your life is if you're like me. A battle between living as who we truly are, children of God, and as a battle of our old way of life. Kind of this idea of citizens of the world. And so you kind of find yourselves in between these two worlds. But I know that God has declared that I am this, but I still often feel like I am this. This is the issue that Peter addresses for us this morning. He's going to address this in these first three verses. And his original audience, what he's doing is he's encouraging them towards holiness by reminding them that the very living word of God, the word that saved them, is the same word that they need to keep growing into their promised salvation. Which is why I've titled this message, Reclaiming a Passion for God's Word. Because Peter argues that if someone has indeed tasted the the Lord is good, that you will crave for that word, which they will come to continue to grow and obtain the salvation when the Lord returns. In other words, passion for God's word is not the mark of a new believer. Think about when you first came to Christ. A lot most people's experience is they were radically changed and they wanted to know everything about Christ that they could. So what do they do? They get their hands on a Bible, something probably a, a friend gave them or a pastor gave them, and they just devour it and they're trying to read it and they're confused by some of it and some of it makes a lot of sense, but they crave for it. And so we think, oh, that's the mark of a new believer. But actually, it, what Peter's going to tell us is uh, passion for God's word is the mark of every believer. And so if you are in Christ, then part of the question for you this morning is, do I crave God's word? Do I long for God's word? Do I base my life on God's word? So let me pray for us again, and then we're going to get into the text in 1 Peter. Holy Father, God, we come to you. We are at your beckon. 
God, I pray that your word would be made alive and well this morning, that your spirit would speak to us. God, we're going to look at some very specific areas of sin, that you would convict us, that you would cause us to repent and to fall back in love with you and your word. God, it's very popular in our day among our generation to to question your word, to kind of contort your word, to change it, to make it a little bit more palatable for those in our city. God, to make it a little bit more palatable for our sin and kind of how we want to live life. But God, at Sojourn, we want to live our lives based on your word. God, what you spoke to us in your truth, even when it's uncomfortable. And so, God, I pray this morning, um, as we probably will find ourselves uncomfortable from your word, God, that we would find it also comforting that you love us and that you're guiding us into your truth and to a better way of life. In your name, amen. So let's actually go back and start in chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. Where we ended last week kind of sets up where we're going. It says, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So it's in this context of God's word from verses 24 and 25 that Peter says what he's going to say next. So read it in your copy of scripture as I read it. I'm going to read all three verses of chapter two. He says, to put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so point number one this week is that we reclaim our passion for God's word by getting rid of sin. The word so, or some some translations might say therefore, refers back to the command from last week in verse 22 where it says love one another. So saying love one another As a result, get rid of sin. And so this verse explains in more detail what's involved with loving one another earnestly. He says one must put away. You could say give up or or get rid of. There's a a few different iterations that you can use of attitudes in your life and habits in your life which are going to be harmful to others because it's hard to love others when you have a harmful attitude. It's hard to love others others when you have harmful habits. And so we see this phrase, it's used a few times in the New Testament of either ridding yourself of something or putting away something, and most often it's referring to sin, sin which hinders your Christian growth. Uh, This week I was talking with uh, Casey, you all know who Casey is, and he was talking about his safety requirements at Habitat, Habitat for Humanity, so he works, you know, with a lot of volunteers for construction. And so he was explaining to me that they have these protocols for safety. And one of those protocols is remove the obstacle altogether when possible. And so instead of saying, hey, there's a tripping hazard right here. You need to watch out when you're, you're walking over there. Just if you can, remove the obstacle altogether so then there's no longer a tripping hazard that is left. And so the key takeaway there is remove the obstacle. Here's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, likewise, church. Remove the obstacles in your life that cause you to be unloving towards others. And he's going to get very specific with us. He gives us five specific sins in this first verse. And if you're a believer and those sins show up in your life, he's saying it will hinder and diminish your hunger for God's word. And so once again, we're talking about reclaiming our passion for God's word. And he's going to point out these sins. Let me break these down real briefly. 
The first one that we see, he says, put away all malice. Now, malice is kind of this general word for all sin. It's like the catch, catch word for all sins. So this could include everything from looking at someone lustfully or in a wrongful way. It can include anger. It can include pride or with a desire to harm someone. So he's saying, put away malice. That covers a lot. The second thing he's going to say is put away deceit. Now, this is an interesting word in Greek because it literally means to catch with bait. Now, I'm not much of a fisherman. Occasionally, I'll go out. My kids will tell you that. We rarely catch anything. Sorry, boys. It's probably your dad's fault. But I do know enough about fishing that you get some kind of bait. And a lot of times, if you go to the, there is live bait, but then you also get these like shiny things and they've got all this like little pokey things sticking out. And the idea is that you're tricking, you're tricking the, the fish. Right? It's, it's something that's deceitful. You want the fish to think, oh, this is, this is your next meal. So you put it on there, and you throw it out there, and then you try to hook the fish because there's always a hook attached to the bait. So Peter is instructing us. He's saying, stop fishing with bait. In other words, stop deceiving others. Stop deceiving others by pretending to be something that you're not. We all like to do this, right? If you look at our social media accounts, a lot of times that's what it is. We like to pretend that we're something that we're not. He's saying, stop exaggerating. You ever heard a story and then you hear it again, then you hear it again, you know, hey, this story keeps getting more embellished of what actually took place. He's saying, stop the little white lies in your life that you don't actually think are that big of a deal because they're actually a big deal. He actually says that, that this the sin in your life, it numbs your desire for God's word. Third, he goes into hypocrisy. This is when you present yourself one way in public, but it's not really who you are in private. Right? And we've seen this a lot, unfortunately, in the church, right? Where we'll see someone who writes books and their messages and authors and all these things. And then we learn later, like, man, there's someone very different in their private life. Peter's saying this numbs your longing for God's word. Fourth is envy. When, when you long for someone else's prosperity, you long for it and it creates this bitterness within you. You see kind of their success. Right? If I look at Ben's Bitcoin and crypto level and I look at mine, I kind of I long for it. I'm like, man, I want to be able to do that as well. But it can cause this anger in you. It draws you away from God's work because you go, I want what they have. God, why don't I have what they have? How come you've blessed them? How come they have these things in their lives? This is one that kind of hits me sometimes when I look around other churches. I'm like, God, have I not been obedient? God, have I not been faithful to what you've called me to do? How come I'm not seeing some of the same results that my friend over here is seeing? And then fifth, he says slander. Now, when we think of slander, we typically think of this legal term. That, that you say something really bad about someone, and they sue you for slander. So you can actually take someone to court over this and say, they, they slandered my name. They slandered me. But slander in the Bible means when you whisper about someone behind their back in a slandering way. How often do we whisper about someone? How often do we go behind someone's back and say, hey, did you know this about someone? Did you know that this took place? Did you see what they were doing? About our family, about our coworkers, about our friends. Do you know what Scripture calls that? Sin. Scripture calls it sin. 2 Corinthians 12 Verse 20 and 21, should be on the slide behind me. It says, for I am afraid when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander. There it is. Gossip, 
arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity, sexual sin, debauchery, in which they have indulged. Now here's what's incredibly convicting about these verses. The Apostle Paul in the Bible, he just put slander and gossip on the same level as sexual immorality. Have you ever thought about the two that, that way? I know until this week, I had not thought of the two that way. Because here's how most of us operate. We think of one of those being bigger than the other. One will ruin your life, and we kind of seen that play out in our friends' lives and family life, unfortunately. And the other we find ourselves doing every day. Paul is saying they're actually both sin. They are both sin that need to be mourned over, and they need to be both repented of. These are these things that we need to put away from our lives. Not only is it sin, but it also turns us away from the word of God. This one in particular was, was convicting for me. I heard another pastor teach on this recently. Actually, Ben and I both did when we were in California. And something he said stuck with me. Now, you've got to remember here, he's speaking to a room full of, of ministry leaders, a lot of church planners and, and pastors and worship leaders. He said, we often only want revival if it's through our name and through our church. And so we'll slander others. Because we want it to be about us, right? That's why when we pray and fast this week, one of the first things we're praying for is God to receive glory on Easter. Now that sounds like a, a give me. Like, why would we pray that? Because we don't want it to be about us. We don't want it to be about a competition with other churches either. We want it to be about God receiving the glory. And then another quote that he said, this, yes, this applies to pastors, but I think it applies to every single one of us. He says, the most difficult heart you'll ever shepherd is your own. That's a tough one to swallow to think about helping lead others, because we all lead others to some degree, whether it's in our family or in a, in a church setting, but the most difficult heart we'll ever shepherd is our own. And so all of these sins that he listed for us that will hinder our Christian love and fellowship, which is going back to last week, this is what we're called to do, we're called to love, but if these sins are found in our lives and our, and our goal is to love, then it's going to hinder that. It's going to hinder our desire for God's word. And we fail to beat sin because we go about fighting it in the wrong ways. It's like telling the Habitat crew about the obstacle that may harm them versus actually removing the obstacle. So then how can we accomplish this reality? How can we actually put away these sins that are found in our lives? This is what Peter's going to return to now in point number two. <clears throat> point number two is we reclaim our passion for God's word by being like infants. Now, that sound, may sound like a funny point. Honestly, I couldn't think of anything more creative. So I just went with what the language with the word of God uses. But let's look at verse 2. It says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So Peter tells us to put aside all of these unloving practices in our lives. This isn't a recommendation. He's saying this is actually necessary for your spiritual growth. This isn't an optional, you get to pick and choose from that list. He's saying, put these things away because as God works, we also work. And our part is to long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, by comparing these Christians to newborn infants, Paul is not implying that they're all immature in their faith. Rather, what he's doing is saying that we are all to be like newborn infants longing for our pure spiritual milk. Well, what's the pure spiritual milk that he's talking about there? 
It's the word. It's the word of God. So think about when a baby comes into this world. They come into this world screaming, and their passion is for one primary thing, for their mother's milk. They long for it. And so a newborn baby needs its mother's milk to survive. The baby is dependent on that milk for its nourishment, for its growth. And a baby naturally craves the milk. The baby doesn't come out going, man, I really want a burger. Or I really want a steak. The baby knows that it needs milk because it knows what it needs and it's all that it needs in that moment. And so in the same way, Christians who desire to grow, and if I asked right now, if I said, who desires to grow in their faith? I guarantee everyone would say me, right? Yep. If you're at a church service, like no one's going to say, no, I don't really want to grow. So if you're desiring to grow, you should naturally crave the milk, which is necessary and sufficient for your growth. So he uses this term, long for. In Greek, long for means this passionate, ongoing, driving desire that is reoccurring. And so it's not only when you were born, he's saying, so it's not only when you were born again. Remember, he just talked about us being born again. So he's not saying, be like newborn infants. Not when you just come, first come to Christ, but ongoing. Have this drive and this longing for the word of God in your life. That's convicting. I don't know about you, but I long for the word of God sometimes. But sometimes I don't. Sometimes I wake up and I long for something else. I often find myself longing for other things. And so if you're like me, and that is where you are, then it's probably because something has entered into your life that has hindered you. Maybe it's one of the sins that Peter listed in verse 1. So what Peter is saying, that all Christians, regardless of your maturity, regardless where you are on that journey of following Jesus, you should passionately crave the word that saved you in order that you may be grow into this salvation. Notice they said the milk is pure. That's unadulterated. It's without deceit, the thing that he just told us to get rid of in our lives. Impure milk is not helpful for growth. In fact, it may be harmful for growth or it may stunt your growth. That's why a lot of people don't drink dairy in our own day and age because they add all this stuff to the dairy and we're not really sure what's going to happen to us. But sadly, impure milk is readily available. Which is why in Paul's second letter, he says this. He warns us of false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. We see this on TV. We see this on radio. We hear this on podcasts, in social media, on books. And worst of all, we even see this in pulpits. And guess what? We see this in our own city. I'm not going to call them out by name, but there's a church just a few miles from here. And that is exactly what's happening there. And maybe I should call them out by name to protect you guys from ever engaging there if you decide to leave sojourn. But this is why we teach and preach the whole Bible. This is why we study it together in our tables so that we can encourage one another, so we can pray for one another and learn how it is that we apply God's word so that we're helping one another grow into our salvation as Peter is instructing us. That we should long and crave for the word of God. Sadly, most of us, myself included, a lot of times we long for other things, for other books, for other resources. But Peter, this morning, he wants to help us reclaim that passion for the Word of God. So it brings us to point number three. We reclaim our passion for God's Word by tasting the goodness of the Lord. I'm going to read the, all three verses again. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit 
and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. When you taste the goodness of the Lord, it changes how you live. Does it not? And you'll continue to long for that word as you did when you first became a follower of the way of Jesus. This is actually where I had Andrea read Psalm 34 at the beginning. I'm just going to focus on verse 8. But he says in verse 8, which is Peter's actually referencing, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, Peter likely meditated on this psalm at length, which is about how the Lord delivers the righteous in their sufferings. We've got to remember, he's talking to a group of Christians who are suffering, who are sojourning. And he's reminded them, Remember when you tasted that the Lord was good, that now in your suffering, I'm reminding you to to taste that longing again for the word of God. And so he's talking about what it's like to experience the goodness of God and to return to it. Now think about taste for a minute. It's one of those senses of how we receive and process information. Think about what you tasted for breakfast this morning. Maybe a nice crispy piece of bacon, or in my case, a nice sip of a fresh made coffee. It's, it's taste, right? It's a powerful sense in our lives. But how many of you have ever tasted steak before? Okay, all of us. I think even, even vegans before they were vegans tasted steak, and you probably missed that the most about being a vegan. Now, I grew up eating beef and steak occasionally. And I thought that I knew what steak was until I traveled to Argentina at the age of 18, and I attended my first of many what they call asados. And I quickly learned that I thought I knew what steak was, but I really had no idea what steak was until I went to Argentina. My mouth wasn't sure what it was tasting. I mean, the cut of the meat that was indescribable. My taste buds were going crazy. And it was all suddenly going, I don't know what that thing was that they called steak for the first 18 years of my life, but now that I've tasted this, like I have tasted the goodness and I have seen. So it hit me in that moment. There's a whole other level of steak in the world. And that I was settling for something less at best. And Peter is saying, that is how it ought to be with God. There ought to be a moment in your life when you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good and you realize that his presence is better than anything I've ever tasted or experienced in my life and that I want more of it and I can't get enough of it. And on those bad days, on those hard days, on the days you find yourself sojourning and feeling isolated, that you return to that and go, God, I know that I've tasted and I've seen and I want to return to that taste. I want to long for the taste of you and for your word, the way that a baby longs for its taste of its mother's milk. And so there's absolutely nothing better than the presence of God. It's better than an asado in Argentina. It's better than beach vacations. It's better than Christmas morning. It's better than falling in love. It's better than sex. It's better than anything in your life that tastes the goodness of the Lord. And so nothing, absolutely nothing in this world compares to the living presence of God. But how often do we replace it with something else? How often do we seek something that pales in comparison because it's easier, because it's quicker Because we trick ourselves into thinking that's the thing that I actually want and need. And we kind of forget about this taste and this longing that we've had in our lives. And so if you're here this morning and you consider yourself a Christian and you have never experienced this, then there is something wrong. 
There's not an encounter with Jesus where people didn't come completely undone, where people didn't come completely changed in their lives. And so Peter's saying, if you have tasted that the Lord is good and better than anything in your life, the result will be a longing for this book, the Bible, in your life, just as newborn infants long for milk from its mother. And just like an infant, what happens with an infant? Right? The infant tastes, the infant drinks, and it leaves them desiring more. Right? That, that infant will get full, and then you kind of you do this, and you burp them, and then just a little bit later, they're like, ah, ah, right? Like, what do they want more of? They want more milk. Right? Sometimes they're even full, and they still want milk, but they're longing for it. But do you find in your life that you're longing for the Word of God? You find that you you can't wait, you know. Sometimes I find myself, I know this is really weird, but sometimes I get ready to go to bed at night and I, I get ready to lay down and I think, I can't wait to wake up and drink the first sip of coffee. Like I can't wait till those seven hours are done so I wake up and smell the aroma of the coffee brewing and get that first taste. But how often do I go to bed thinking, I can't wait to wake up and read the Word of God? Sin will make us lose our appetite for God's Word. And here's why. God is holy. And so when we sin, we naturally run away from that spiritual milk that God offers us. And we seek other forms of milk for satisfaction. That, that our, our, our generation's great at doing this, right? We read something that makes us uncomfortable. We read something that we don't really like and don't agree with. And we just want to throw it out completely. We're not, we're not a fan of what, what the Bible's telling us. We, we seek something else. This is because you've forgotten that the Lord is good. Second, we sin in our attempt to satisfy our hunger with food found in the garbage can of the world. A typical, typical asado in Argentina, and I could be wrong about this, but I Googled it, takes at least two hours to make. At least. Could take longer. I've been to some that go a lot longer, but at least two hours. So when you're hungry, in that moment, a burger from McDonald's might actually sound more appealing. A burger from McDonald's might, might look like it's going to be more satisfying to you because you can get it quickly, right? You can just go through the drive-thru. You can probably order on your phone, and they've got it wrapped up, and the paper stuck to the cheese, and you're not even sure if it's real cheese or if it's real meat. And while it might satisfy you for a brief moment, and that moment of hunger, it will not last. It will not sustain you like a steak from an Argentina asado would. The McDonald's of the world will keep you from feasting on the pure word of God. These other things that we turn to. The things that quickly satisfy us. The things that make us feel, feel good about ourselves. But as you taste the goodness of the Lord, and it causes us to long for him more and more. And if we know him more and more, we will long for his word more and more. That it, it leaves us desiring more. Like our mouths are almost like watering. So I'm going to finish with this one simple question this morning. Do you long for the word of God? Do you long for the word of God? If you don't, then there's something diminishing your hunger. And it's likely one of two things. First, you've actually never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. It's possible. A lot of times in the church world, it's possible you have this religious experience. But you've never actually tasted that the Lord is good and been changed by the gospel. And so in that case, our exhortation today is taste and see that the Lord is good. So good that he offered you salvation. And so 
Basically, turn from your sin and give your life to Jesus and can taste and bask in his goodness that he wants to continually give you. Second, and this is probably where most of us fall. If you have tasted and seen and experienced the goodness of the Lord, but there is no longer this desire in your life, it's likely because there's sin in your life. I know it's not popular to talk about sin, but Peter's pointed it out to us this way. And what does Peter tell us to do in verse 1 with sin? Get rid of it. It's just put it away. Because these sins in your life are like the, that bait that gets thrown out and they, they will hook you. You think, man, that looks really good, that looks satisfying, but it's going to hook you and it's going to pull you in. It's going to deceive you just like the guy out there fishing. Peter says, put these things away because it's going to cause you to not want to desire God's word. Think about it. When is the time, and I know we all know this in theory in our heads, but when's the time we should turn to God the most? When we're, when we're caught in the middle of something, when we're caught in sin, right? But we always do the opposite. For some reason, like we naturally like, ugh, I'm, I'm kind of in my own filth here. I'm eating this McDonald's burger, and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to keep doing that. Now let me get the supersized fry, and let me get some chicken nuggets, and do all this thing. Where it's like, we should actually be going towards God and leaning into his word. And so put these things away. And so church, if you are struggling to crave pure spiritual milk, or if you've just forgotten that the word of the Lord is good, then taste and see. That is what God has given you to grow in faith and holiness, and that is what we need to grow. Which is why we need to taste and see the goodness of the Lord, and we need to re reclaim this in our lives. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to lead us through uh, our time of response. God, we have tasted and seen your goodness in our lives. But God, we're honest, it's really easy to forget. Sin looks really appealing to us, God. It's quick. It seems to satisfy us for a moment. And God, forgive us when we turn to those things of hypocrisy and malice and envy and deceit and slander. God, I ask that you would continue to cause this longing for your word. God, you have spoken to us. God, you've given it to us in a form that we can read and understand. And so God, as our generation is tempted to rewrite parts of your word, as our generation is tempted to throw out parts of your word, God, as our generation is tempted to skip over parts of your word, God, I pray that we would be found faithful to following you in everything that you instruct us and command us in your word. God, satisfy us with your word like nothing else in this world can do. It's in your name, by your power we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.